You are about to listen to part two of episode 13 and the conversation with my mom, Robin Knoll. If you have not yet listened to part one, I would highly encourage you to listen to the previous episode to get filled in. But without further ado, enjoy part two. Last episode was about my experiences during this time graduating high school and going to college and primarily narrated my first two years there in the campus ministry and how it was a campus ministry still under the same church organizational umbrella of my mm-hmm. home church. Um, and that episode is its own thing. Go listen to that if you want to. And that gives a, a great picture of the campus ministry culture. And this chapter picks up right where that chapter ends off, where I'm still in this campus ministry, but I'm now really seeing a lot of problems that unfortunately were the same problems I was experiencing back at home, but just in, in different contexts. I was at my, my mental, emotional, and spiritual end because I was leaving this home church I'd been a part of for 18 years to go to college, hoping and needing a place in that time in my life where I could kind of get a reset on some things. Get some new people around me, some new spiritual context, a little more, just some things I really needed, some peace and quiet and some rest. And I didn't get that at all. It was the exact opposite, unfortunately, because it was, once again, the same systemic core. So the same branches of the same tree with those same characteristics. This chapter starts off with me at a point where I first thought, okay, I really don't want to have to take this mantle up or do anything about it because I'm not in the place where I feel like I can. But mm-hmm. I want to try to offer my friends and peers in this campus ministry, I want to offer them something if I can, because I've been going through the same stuff for several years now. And through that, and through the hardships, you are learning as you're going. So I've learned more about God's grace and freedom and the Holy Spirit and all this stuff, more so than I perhaps would have if I wasn't confronted with the antithesis of many of these things. So I had asked, if you listened last episode, you would know that one of my roommates didn't like that I stopped showing up to some midweek services and barge into my room because we were roommates in the same apartment. He barged into my room one night and declared to me that he had talked to the uh, head pastor of this church, which was, you know, this home church near the college. And the pastor had granted him the authority to be my discipler, which pretty much means he is now kind of not in charge of me, but has some hefty say in my spiritual guidance and authority in a way. And it was just a power play because they felt like I was falling out of line a little bit and straying away from where they wanted me to go. And they wanted to keep me in line. And that obviously did the exact opposite of what they wanted, which was instead of encouraging me to show up more, I started stepping even further back. But one thing I wanted to do was we had our UCLA specific Bible devotionals once or twice a week. And I had asked if I could potentially head one up, you know, write the lesson and and speak on a topic I felt passionate about. And I was told, yeah, I could do that. Great. Okay. So that Wednesday or whatever it was, I gathered, you know, we gathered around out on the lawn at UCLA under a tree to talk about whatever lesson I want to talk about. And I spoke about grace. I spoke about the Holy Spirit. And I, because I felt like going back to right the core of these systemic problems, many of those issues fall from a lack of grace, a lack of reliance on the Holy Spirit, a pressure on self and perfection and all of these things. So I tried to tackle, you know, to my rather maybe elementary knowledge of these things, but things that I knew were helping me navigate this. And I knew I didn't see my peers as obstacles. I saw them as victims of the same system, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that many of them weren't aware of it. But I was like, no, there's going to become a point 
you know, that you're probably going to become aware that you were going through this. And it's funny because since this podcast, and my book came out, several of those people in that group have reached out and said that they are trying to figure out where they are in their faith now because they're coming to terms with what they were experiencing. Mm. So we had this midweek conversation. I shared, you know, some Bible verses and some written down points to talk with about what I wanted to you know, tell them about this stuff. And they were really, and it might be my biased perspective, but it seemed like they were really engaged and really interested. Um, where sometimes, you know, if you have such a rigid schedule with midweeks and Bible talks and sermons all day, every day, you can kind of get like, you can kind of have some glazed over eyes sometimes. But th- this was, no, they seemed to really register with what I was saying, which was very encouraging to me and validating of that, okay, this is hitting home. So that's great. And I felt great about it. They felt great about it. It was a great, really great hour, however long it was. And this, this devotional ended. And my roommate, who was now my disciple, he was kind of a, an appointed kind of, not a leader over the rest of us. He was the same age as us, but he was just a little bit higher because he had found some favor with the pastor or something. So he was just the guy who was, he was really showing up and taking charge. So he was put in that place. And we were dispersed and he came up to me at the end. And I expected him to say, good job, whatever, whatever, you know, I'm not expecting it. To, I don't need that, but I'm like, okay, I'll probably say whatever. And he came up to me and said, I forget exactly what he said, but he didn't say much congratulatory or, or thank you or great stuff. I loved it. He said, what, what, what mom was one of them that I, I spoke too long. Was that one of them or no? Well, you had called dad and I that day and yeah. they said 20 minutes. Right. And you had shared, you stopped at 20 minutes and said, oh, I have one more analogy, but there's not time now. Right. It was about 20 minutes. It was a short thing between classes, right? It wasn't a whole hour. Yeah. yeah. You went two minutes over. You went Right, because they, wa- they wanted to hear it. I said, I have one more thing, but I, we're cutting it short. And they said, no, no, let's just say it. So I shared it. And yeah. great. And then he, first thing he came up to me at the end and with a very, very straight face, he said, yeah, you went over time and um, you used too many scriptures. Yeah. He said, you shouldn't have used four scriptures. You should have only used two. Yeah, it was four, four freaking scriptures. <laughs> nothing about the content, oh nothing gosh. about, thank you for sharing this. We really needed this. Uh. Just went over time and too many scriptures. And then he says, oh yeah, and, and also really try to stay away from talking about the Holy Spirit stuff because that tends to really go over people's heads, which it clearly wasn't. It can mm-hmm. be this thing if you approach it like that, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. It's, but that's a whole different conversation, but it's a much personal, more personal thing than that. And these people got it and they, you could tell they, they want, they desired that depth and it was, you know, to him, it was, it's a checklist. You do these two scriptures. It's this time, stay away from these topics, keep to evangelism and reaching out. And and that was the same thing. And, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is what the majority of these lessons ended up being the through line is evangelism. Oh, tithing oh showing up or serving, whatever, you know? And it was just really discouraging. So I called you guys and to voice that. And then we decided that, oh, okay, I, I think it's a good idea if I maybe call them up or tell them when we're at, when we're at the apartment, say, hey, would you mind, could we, could we talk a little more about this? Because I felt a little bit, you know, it didn't feel quite something. And mm-hmm. so I, I texted them or called them and said, hey, would you mind meeting on campus tomorrow and talking a little bit? And he said, yeah, sure. Showed up. It was a, it was a longer conversation than I had anticipated. There were some scriptures thrown around. I brought up, I brought up the scripture, which I should know now is in that kind of situation can be taken as wrong because it's just, people are in defensive modes. We bring up a scripture about something. It can seem very affronting or something, but I was bringing this scripture up very earnestly, you know, and he, I say the first couple words of the scripture and he immediately goes, Oh, I know where you're going with that. Don't even try. I know the through line, what, you're trying to, what point you're trying to make. And it was funny because the point he thought I was trying to make 
by using that scripture wasn't even what I was going for. It was the typical, whatever the scripture was, he assumed I was bringing up the typical way it's utilized in churches, which was not what I was trying to get at. But very turned off to it, which I understand, I guess. But, you know, not a great way to start off. And the talk goes on. And, you know, it already started off in a defensive place. And it kept getting that way. And we're both, you know, going back and forth, trying to make our points. And I, I was... I felt, maybe from a biased perspective, that he was much more trying to solidify his point, and I was much more into trying to reason with him. But all that to say, at one point, he, I forget the, the wording he used, but it was something along the lines of, you know, you really need to be careful about the way you're navigating this, because I really don't, I would really hate for you to lose your treasure in heaven. Ugh. And that, needless to say, I was like, okay, this conversation's over. Thanks for your time. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, hello. Um, but yeah, I don't even know. In my book, I was like, what does he even mean by that? What does he think he means by that? Does he have any idea? But the, the, So I'm saying, I'm sharing all of this because I'm going to ask a question about your last straw. This, for me, I was on the end of my rope for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I was already really not going to a lot of stuff. I was showing up to half the things, if that, that I was going to before. You know, there's, there's many scheduling events and get-togethers and groups and sermons and Bible talks at a college campus, right? They're going all week long. And I just took a step back, and then this happened. And that was kind of, my, that, that lesson, the Bible talk I led was kind of my last attempt, my final stand of, maybe there's something to latch onto here. And they love, all the people seem to be really engaged, but the people whose opinion kind of mattered more because they delegated the way things were going was completely turned off to it. And I, at that point was like, okay, for where I am now, I don't have it in me to fight this anymore right now. So I'm still a Christian. I still love what I love. I believe what I believe, but I'm for this group, I'm not a part of it. So I stepped out and that was it. And that ended up bleeding over to my home church as well, that I didn't go back. I may have gone back once, maybe home church for some midweek, but then that was it for me for the entire church organization. It just bled over. I, didn't just, I never went back home once college was done and once I was that summer or whatever. So going off of this, I want to ask you, what was your last straw? What was it that you decided, okay, this is not a cause. I don't feel like I want to or can fight anymore. And it's smarter if I and our family or whatever, step back? Mm, good question. Um, there were a few final straws. Okay. You know, my main goal was we really want to help here. We want to be a part of the solution. We want, really want to help to change this to be more healthy. And as those two years went on with a lot of meetings, it just became more and more clear that the, the changes were not going to happen. Yeah. It didn't have to be the changes we wanted. It, you know, we, sure. our ideas could be greater. Other people could have better ideas. The change needed to be happened so that it would not be so toxic and unhealthy and all these cult-like um, control mechanisms there. But there were a few things that stand out to me that really were last draws. Uh, one was the young adults ministry there. You were off at college now, and you would come home on the weekends and whatnot, you know, but you were over at UCLA, and there was a, a couple that they put in charge of the young adults ministry. And those are the people who come from... That high school teen ministry, their next ministry is that young adults ministry. And I saw some things that I was like, oh my gosh. So these controlling, legalistic, fear-based 
<laughs> religious tactics are going to continue for these kids into the young adult ministry. Yeah. What is going on? Because the couple put in charge of that work, extremely, extremely legalistic. Very, very, very rigid. Yeah. And what happened is a, a woman who was leading that adult, young adults ministry, I had noticed that she seemed very distant around me, very, um, I don't know, just very different. And I thought, oh, maybe I did something to hurt her feelings or maybe I did something that bothered her. Uh, and so I asked her, hey, did I do something that hurt you? Did I, you know, every time I'm around you lately, you turn the other way. Or when I talk to you, you won't give me eye contact and you turn your back and go the other way. Or, you know, just really obvious things like that. You know, not, not subtle things. It was very obvious. And she kept saying, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And I said, oh, it doesn't seem that way. And, and then after about 45 minutes, she finally said, well, there is something. Because we were talking about some other things there as we were standing in the courtyard. And she so she said she needed to ask me something. We wound this wound up being a two hour conversation in this courtyard after church, and she said, "I heard that you you think it's okay for a guy and a girl to ride together in a car alone." <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like this is like a Saturday Night Live skit, and it and it turns even to more of a Saturday Night Live skit. And I'm kind of looking at her like, "Where is this going?" You know, I'm thinking, "What?" And I said, uh, yeah. Yeah. And she goes, she was like, oh, okay, so you are okay with that. And I said, yes. And she says that she heard that I was okay with you, my son Austin, who by that time was what, 20? Yeah, I was 20. An adult. Uh, that I'm okay with you riding with this friend of ours that we love, that we've known for a long, long time, this girl, riding with her in a car alone to church on to the yeah, over at the campus the ministry the midweek thing over there and i'm thinking holy smokes are you kidding me we're really gonna have this conversation that's what i'm thinking in my mind and i said yeah i am okay with that and she kind of looked at me like hmm. she's kind of nodding her head like hmm like wow she robin is okay with this and i said first of all they're going to church but even if they weren't i'm okay with them riding right. wherever they want to ride <laughs> and i said they're adults and I said, you know, sometimes it's just Austin and the girl. And there are two other friends, the two other guys, if they're not going to that campus thing that night, I said, then Austin and the girl, they still go. And I said, yeah, I'm okay with that. And she was just, had this judgment about it. And I said, you know, first of all, I, I trust my son. Yeah. And I trust their hearts. And they're not even interested in each other. But if no. they were... That would be fine. They're adults that can deal with this. And then she said, because I mentioned your heart, she said, well, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things. Got him. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Where's this conversation going? Is what I'm thinking in my mind. And I said, look, I trust my son. I trust her. And even if not, if they, you know, made mistakes, I said, I'm not trying my goal in my life as a parent is not to keep my kids from making mistakes. My kids are going to make mistakes. I have no desire to keep my kids in a bubble where they never make mistakes. And I said, and Austin, you know, he's got the Holy Spirit. And she jumps in. She goes, oh, you can't just say, they. oh, they have the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And I said, yes, I can. Yes, I can. But that aside... Even if someone is not into anything spiritually, they're adults. Yeah. <laughs> they're adults. And so I said, 
I'm not trying to keep my son from making mistakes. I said, my hope and desire has always been that when my kids make a mistake, I'm hoping that I've created a safe enough space for them that they will feel safe coming to me and talking to me about the mistake, telling me what they're feeling, crying it out if they need to. I'm not trying to keep them from the mistakes. I just want to be a safe place for them if and when the mistakes happen. And she rolled her eyes at me like that was the worst parenting decision ever. You know, like, wow, like you're just letting your kids be out there on the limb. She reminded me of how you can't trust your heart, meaning, you know, my kids. And I said, look, if there was someone here at this church and they had an issue of they spend money and their husband doesn't know it. Let's say there's a woman here. She's spending money all the time. Her husband doesn't know it. They're going bankrupt, literally bankrupt, losing their house. And she's getting secret credit cards and her husband doesn't know about it. And she's buying and buying and buying and hiding things in a storage space. And her car trunk is filled with things that she's buying that they don't have the money for. And she's gambling money away and still buying stuff. And it's in the trunk of her car. And it's a big mess. I said, do we decide, hey, everybody in this church, we are starting a rule here. And at 10 o'clock every night, we want you to check the trunk of your spouse's car <laughs> yeah, to see if exactly. they are in sin with buying things they're not supposed to buy. And she starts laughing. She's cracking up like that's because that's crazy. And I looked at her and I said, well, isn't that what you're just saying? Yeah. You want to put these rules on everybody? Not ride in a car together? Not be alone together? And I said that after she had said, well, I also heard you are okay with people going out on a one-on-one date by themselves. I said, yes, I'm okay with that. She said, guy and a girl by themselves. I said, yes, I'm okay with that. Like crazy stuff. Yeah. So then she says to me, Well, let me ask you, would you be okay with, and then she points across the street where there's a Starbucks across the street, would you be okay with a guy and a girl right now going across the street over there, it's about two o'clock in the middle of the day, you know, which is fine, it could be 10 o'clock at night, I don't care, but it's broad daylight, shows how extreme (laughs) these people are, would you be okay with a guy and a girl going over there to that Starbucks and hanging out at Starbucks alone? Gosh. And I said... Yes, and she I would. said she said twenty five year olds, right? A twenty five yeah. year old. That's mm-hmm. right. She said, "Would you be okay with a twenty five year old guy and twenty five year old girl going across the street over the right now to Starbucks by themselves and having cocktails?" And I said, "Yes." And she says, "Alone." I said, "Yes." She says, "Without a group." <laughs> and I'm telling you, I felt like I was in a Saturday Night Live skit. And I said, yes. And she just kind of sat there looking at me like, wow. Hmm. Like she couldn't believe that I'd be okay with these two 25-year-olds going over there. And I said, well, let me ask you. Would you be okay with 25-year-old man? I didn't say guy and girl. I said man and woman. I said, would you be okay with a 25-year-old man and woman going across the street over there to Starbucks by themselves? She kind of sat there a second. She couldn't answer the question. She sat there, hmm, she goes, mm, alone? I said, Oh my yes. gosh, dude. <laughs> he said, without a group. I said, yes, the exact same scenario you just gave me. I'm just giving you the same scenario. Without a group, yes. Well, do they like each other? Oh my gosh. 
She had these big, long pauses. She had to really think about this. She said, do they like each other? I said, I don't know. I don't care if they like each other or not. They might like each other, they might not. 25-year-old man, 25-year-old woman, they're over there. They might like each other, they might not. She sat there for a little bit thinking about it. And then she said, well, I guess it would depend on who they are. And I looked at her. I just couldn't even believe it. Yeah. She's leading the whole adult ministry, yeah. young adults. And I said, well, I guess we have a different view of this then. Because I don't think it's up to me to decide who they are. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of sat there. Nothing else left to say. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And then another thing that was a final straw for me is, you know, here you were now in college and we had already seen now, whoa, this youth ministry is unhealthy, controlling, not safe, really not safe. And we have now our next child. Your sister was now turning the age that she would be going into this youth ministry. And um, they had they had this program that they didn't have when you were there, actually, where you have to do all these projects and and you come in memorizing scriptures and you do these readings. And that sounds like no big deal. I get that. But it was this reward system where it, there was so much pressure on these kids to do all of this homework that I was seeing kids in the courtyard crying, two springs mm. in a row, crying because they were told they didn't know their scriptures well enough. They weren't being, they weren't, they didn't pass this testing Gosh. and they were not going to be able to go on stage and graduate to the next grade with their, with their peers. This is church. Right. And so these kids would be crying in the courtyard because they're so heartbroken that they're not going to be moving up with their friends to the next grade level. And they would do this thing and this email went out and this email is telling the instructors of this, of this middle school program that they are to test the kids. You take them out in the hallway, you test them. And if they have everything memorized, you give them this ribbon. And she puts in capital letters, make sure you give them the ribbon before they walk back in the class in front of their peers so that all the kids in the class can see if they have the ribbon or not. Wow, this is in capital man. letters in the email. And that way it's really obvious, basically, who doesn't have the ribbon. Man. And maybe she viewed this as a motivating thing. It'll get these kids to do this work. I don't know. But so much pressure. These kids were not wanting to go to church. They were not wanting to be there. Yeah, who, who would? And sadly, that year, actually, uh, we had a couple friends uh, quit teaching in that ministry who were great for the kids. But they quit because they felt, no, we can't teach this in good conscience. No, we're not, we're not doing this to these kids. Yeah. But that year, all the boys didn't pass. Somehow the girls passed that year. None of the boys passed the first time around. What message does that send these young men? Yeah. These 12-year-olds. What are you telling them? But there was a lot of that. And so, you know, we spoke up and we said, you know, we're not going to put our daughter in this program because we feel it's very works-based. And we really want her to be have a faith-based experience and really just see who she is in God's eyes. And he's going to love her no matter what. She's enough. No matter what, she is enough. So we said, you know, we still would love to have her come to the Friday night starlight things, these devotional nights and prayer nights, and but we're not going to have her in this testing program. And there was a lot of pushback on that. One of the leaders of the, whatever you call it, Kids Kingdom type of thing was really, you know, pretty nasty about it. Didn't like that we were speaking up about this, this not doing this. Someone speaks to us and says, you guys are pillars in the church. If you don't have your daughter in this program, other parents are going to ask, 
why aren't the Knowles having their daughter in this program? And that doesn't look good for the program. And we're like, well, we're sorry. We're not putting her in this. It's very workspace. We don't want our daughter to learn that she has to jump through all these hoops and meet all these standards to be loved by God. That's not happening. And so we, you know, didn't put her in it. And they were not happy about that. And they, they spoke to us about it a few times. And, um, you know, we would let her go over to Friday night because they said this one teacher was not going to be there. Teacher was there. So we didn't, we wouldn't even leave our daughter there. We only took her twice. We wouldn't even leave her there. We would stay there, walk through the room back and forth and observe because we knew we couldn't trust these youth leaders because they were the very same ones that did all these other abusive things to your peers. Yeah. So there was no way. We're leaving the room. There's no way we're leaving her out of our sight. It doesn't matter that we've known this person for almost 30 years. It's not happening. And so when we saw the second time, this still had this leader there that all these parents had spoken up about, we just didn't, we didn't let our daughter go anymore. And what happened is this one staff pastor couple that was in all those other meetings we were in, and they actually really felt like a few of these staff leaders, you know, they really wanted this one couple to not be leading anymore, but they for whatever reason, didn't have, I don't know what that is, courage. I don't know. They didn't want to tell them. They wanted other people to tell them and parents to tell them. They didn't want to say it. But they, you know, let me know. Two of them let me know. They really didn't feel like this person should be working with the youth. But nonetheless, they still had this person working with the youth, this couple. But pastor, staff, person, and his wife, great people. We really like them. They're very nice people. A lot of these people, you you hear me telling these stories, these are not people we hate. They're... No. So many good, good people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, kind people. Most of them well-meaning. Yeah. Yes, there are a few people in that were very narcissistic and some power thing going on. But I'm telling you, most of the people were nice, kind people in most regards. But for some reason, when it came to these issues in the church, somehow they just always protected the facade of the church reputation instead of yeah. protecting the children and the young people. So this couple comes over to our house and they're talking to us about this, you know, staff couple about the whole thing with why we're not having Jules, our daughter, in this program. And we told him, you know, why we're not. And daddy says, look, it's not like we think, you know, the, the leader there is going to ruin our daughter in one night and some crazy thing is going to happen that puts right. her in therapy. For He said, but it's the drip, drip, right. drip, drip. The incorrect teachings, the expectations that you have to jump through hoops. Uh, You need to do these character studies because they would make the kids, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, great. You want to be baptized? Great. Yeah, Oh, you want to be a Christian? Great. No, they would make them do character studies. And they would say, "Mm, we think you're too prideful. We're going to do these Bible studies about pride. And when we feel like you're not so prideful anymore, then you can get baptized. Or You know what? We think you don't have a good work ethic and you're not that honest. So we think you should do character studies. Or we just think you're kind of lazy. We think you should do... That's what they did. They did character studies, which that's not God. God is, hey, everybody come here. Jesus was like, everybody's welcome. Everybody's accepted. Everybody is enough. Yeah. But that's not what these young people were being taught. And so, you know, my husband says, it's the drip, drip that she would be receiving week after week. And that's not the belief system we want her to have. And this man, this pastor, staff pastor, who, again, nice guy, but I don't know, cognitive dissonance going on, I don't know. 
He was even a marriage and family therapist and knew of all this stuff going on in the church with the youth ministry. But what he said to us at that moment was, well, you know, what, she'd only be with that teen leader, what, 45 minutes a week? You guys are great parents. You'll balance it out at home. Man, dude. I know. And Dad and I are just sitting there stunned. It was one of those moments where I knew exactly, I mean, I know where I was sitting on the couch, where he was sitting in the chair across from me, where his wife was sitting next to him, where Dad, because I was like, I cannot believe this pastor of the church is saying he agrees this teen leader is not a good one, but you know, 45 minutes a week, you're good parents. I mean, what parent would put their child in a program if they already know ahead of time that it's bad enough that they're going to need to balance it out at home? Right. You would never do that. And on top of that, they weren't with these teen leaders for 45 minutes a week. You're at the whole devotional night a couple hours or at all sorts of things. And so when he said that, I said to him, all right, so let's say your daughter, he had a daughter. I said, let's say your daughter's in this gymnastics club and this gymnastics club is the best around. The best coaches there. The coaches are amazing. They're so good with her and she's been there for years. And you find out that for the last two years, your daughter, every time she's over there at the uneven parallel bars, the coach spotting her is touching her inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Every single time he spots her on the bars, he's touching her inappropriately. And she tells you about it. Do you just say, eh, you know, all those other coaches there are amazing. They're fantastic. They're such great coaches. They love the kids. She's only with that uneven parallel bars coach for what, 45 minutes a week? Yeah. We're good parents. We're good parents. Let's leave her there. Let's let that coach keep touching her that way and, you know, we're going to balance it out at home because we're good parents. And his wife didn't like that analogy. And his wife looked at me and she said, that's not fair. That's a very unfair analogy. And I said, no, it's not. And I said, these abuses are the same in my perspective. Yeah. Whether it's psychological abuse, a spiritual abuse. This was when I was finally realizing that the word was abuse that was going on in our church. I finally had wrapped my head around that. And I said, okay, physical abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, it's all damaging. And again, note, at this time, I did not know about all the sexual abuses at our church. I only knew of these other abuses that a lot of parents had spoken up about. So that's what I was talking about. And I said, you know what? If these kids in our church had scars and burns all over their bodies and their arms and their legs, you guys would be up in arms about it. And I said, that's the thing. I believe that they do have scars and burns all over. It's just on the inside where you can't see it. Mm -hmm. It's the same. They never, you know, people just thought we should put our daughter in the program. I don't know how many times I heard, you guys are pillars in the church. You got to keep her in that program. Are you kidding me? And what is that even? What is this echelon and hierarchy? No one's a pillar or not a pillar. I mean, come on. We're all people loved by Jesus. But anyways, so that was another one. Then, you know, right near the end there, there was a, uh, after all these meetings for two years, um, there was a church service, and we were at a baseball tournament, uh, so we weren't there that day. And we start receiving texts during this tournament from people who were at the church service, the Sunday service. And they're talking about some email put up on the big screen during the Sunday service. And we don't know what they're talking about. You know, they have those projector screens to show videos and stuff. 
Then they're sending us photos of it. And the lead pastor had put up an email of somebody who had moved away from the church. And he had used this guy's email three different times to say, you see this? See how great our church is? You know how like when you leave someplace, you say, oh, thank you for all the good years there. We're moving away. Thanks for all you did for us, blah, blah, blah. It's one of those kind of letters. Very nice letter about, you know, thanking for all the things. And now we're moving to a different state. He puts that email up. And then he puts up an email that your dad wrote. Yeah. And your dad, he and your dad had been sending emails back and forth. Well, what about this idea? And what do you think of this? And here's what I think of this. And this is what I'm concerned about. And da 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 da. And dad had sent him an email, actually with lots of positive things too. Sure. I think this is great and this is good and this is good. I think we need to talk more about the Holy Spirit. I need to hear, obviously, there's some areas that we need to fix. Here's a paragraph about that. And he's not attacking anyone. It's very respectful. They're having this conversation back and forth, this email conversation. Well, this lead pastor, he's still the lead pastor there. He put the email up on the big screen for a Sunday service and said, this other person's email that moved away. See, that's a good member. That's a good upstanding member. And then he uses this other email, dad's, as the example of the opposite. Wow. It was unreal that a person would do that. Never mentioned it to dad. Never asked him about it. Nothing. Just puts his email up in front of the church. We actually know four people who left the church that day. That day was their last service because that was their last straw. Like, what's going on here? This is so immature and wrong that our pastor would put that up there on a screen. And it wasn't even anything harsh, the email itself, but he presented it as that. And so dad texts him that day, right after the baseball game. He texts him and he says, hey, I heard you put my email up on the screen during service today. You know, I would have really appreciated if you had asked my permission first, but clearly we need to talk. If you have feelings, you know, let's talk. And that lead pastor responded and he said, it's all good. I have no ax to grind. Yeah, whatever. That was the whole response. <laughs> so then Robbie talks to the other pastor, one of the staff pastors, says, hey, you know, I don't feel good about this. And he says there's no ax to grind, but clearly he's very mad. And that pastor's like, yeah, yeah, he is mad at you. And uh, that was wrong. And he gets talked to him, comes back to daddy a couple days later and says, you know, I talked to that lead pastor and they told him that was wrong. And he agreed and he said he'll never do that again. I mean, the guy never circled back to dad and said, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I made this, I really blew it. (laughs) You know, I can't believe I put your email up there on a big screen. Never said a word, but at least this other pastor did circle back and said, He's, he's never going to do it again. I talked to him. He's never going to do it again. But come on. Like, how old are we here? You know? So there was that. And I think those were a lot of, you know, final things that really helped us see, man, things are really out here. And the church was really dwindling. So many people were leaving. I mean, that church has shrunk, like, big time. And, you know, for a while there, there was the excuse, you know, our friends of ours who were still there would be like, oh, my gosh, it's just there's hardly anybody left here. And, and they're saying, oh, it's because COVID. Well, Come on, most people have read the stories. Churches all over the nation grew exponentially during COVID. So many people went back to church. Online, they were going to church. And then the churches that were open, they were going in person and whatever. Churches grew, not shrunk. But people left churches that were not healthy. Exactly. That is very true. And another thing that some of our friends there were sharing is, you know, their whole thing as well with all the racial injustice stuff going on. 
the church is really small now, but it's because the racist people left. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a couple. I have <laughs> yeah, no idea. Right. Maybe. But what has happened is no, people's eyes are opened. There has yep. been an awakening. People are listening to the Holy Spirit and they are hearing the truth and they're using their discernment and they're using their brains and they're saying, oh my gosh, this church is oppressive. Yeah. This is an oppressive, unhealthy, controlling community. I'm going somewhere else. And you can't look at that and go, do we need to look at ourselves? Do we need to circle back and hear all of these stories? And sadly, what I was sharing about the people of color, most of whom have left there, the young people that you grew up with, yeah. who felt very oppressed there and silenced there. The leader couple who really had an opportunity to help change this, but yet demanding the anonymous names or pushing delete after the meetings. That couple themselves is a black couple. Yeah. They were in a great position to shift things there. For the oppression yeah, and the silencing and the marginalizing that was going on there. They were in a great position to do something about that. Yeah. So, so those were your three final straws. And then at that point, I believe you and dad and the rest of our family, my two younger siblings, stayed a, a few months longer than I did. And it was different for me because at that point... I was already calling it quits with the campus ministry at UCLA. And that just transitioned over to, which I didn't realize then that it would be the case, but I just never went back. I, you know, when I would come back, I just didn't go back to our home church. But you guys were, were never, had never left to go to college. So you were always there. So it was a much more maybe binary decision and it took a little bit longer. And also you guys were at that point, more deeply involved in the front lines of actually trying to change things than I was. So once you had recognized these three final straws, you, uh, you joined me on the dark side. <laughs> no, you, uh, that was it. You, you, guys, you guys left. And that's how we all ended up leaving that church. So, okay, I want to ask you this now. From your perspective, how does one know when it is time to stop trying to fix and instead decide they need to move on when it comes to, I mean, especially when it comes to spiritual environments. Mm, that's a good question. And um, I mean, I wouldn't go by my example, honestly, because um, on the one hand, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that I left there having said everything I need to say. You know, because I do have some friends that, they have those moments like, oh, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I would have told the leaders, blah, 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 or I wish I would have shared how much such and such hurt my child, or, you know, those kinds of things. I don't have that. Yeah. I don't have regrets or wishing I had said something because I said everything I needed to say, and I was very clear. When I left the church, in fact, uh, one of the leaders, who's super, super sweet lady, she was one of the ones in my living room when I was giving that analogy of the abuse with the gymnastics, we met for coffee and, you know, she was really hurt that I had left the church and whatnot. And I kind of headed her off at the top of it. And I said, look, I'm not looking for a perfect church. Because one of the things they say a lot there is, well, you're never going to find a perfect church. No church is <laughs> yeah, perfect. Which is true. And it keeps people there, you know. And so right off I said, you know, I'm not looking for a perfect church. Humans are humans. If I were leading a church, it would be a mess. 
I'm not looking for a perfect church, but a church that allows abuses such as spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, mental abuse. I said, that's a deal breaker for me. Abuses are a deal breaker for me. Yeah. And I cannot in good conscience support a church that allows these kinds of abuses. And I said, and especially when it's happening to young people and those people are speaking up and sharing mm-hmm. the truth about those abuses and they are being silenced and squashed and discredited, ostracized even. I just told her all of it. And I said, you know, I haven't even found a new church yet, which surprised, I think, her. She looked surprised. <laughs> it's not like we even had some great church we were going to. We just knew we couldn't be at that church. Yeah. You know, we, we knew we couldn't stay there. And we were like, hey, it's fine if we never find a church. That's fine. But we definitely know we can't be there. I cannot support a church that allows these abuses and brushes them under the rug. So in, in regards to that answer, I do think for myself, the answer would be, Really listening. I know some people call that your gut instinct, listening to your gut. Um, for me, I definitely call that the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm I'm amazed at since leaving that church how it's been profound. And I don't use that word very often, profound. But it has been profound to me how much I am hearing so clearly and definitively from the Holy Spirit. And God, like... He never points a finger in our face. He's never waving a finger in our face when we mess up. He's never shaming us when we mess up. He's always gentle, always open-armed. And we can read that. We can see it in the Bible, whatever. But I have experienced that now in a whole different way Mm. than the entire time I went to that church. Because your, your, your mind and your heart can be so filled with all of these rules and control and this advice and what people think you should do and their methods, all of it. And that scripture, Psalm 10, 4, you know, really jumps out at me a lot. I think about it a lot because it, it talks about how we can fill our thoughts with so many things that there is no room for him. Mm-hmm. That's huge. What? I can fill my thoughts and my space and my heart with so much that I don't even have room for him and his thoughts? Well, I'm telling you, what I am experiencing now in my spiritual life is enormously different. And in regards to your question, I would say as soon as you get those gut instincts, yeah. as soon as you hear those nudgings from the spirit, go. Yeah. What happened with me is I started hearing that when I was praying. It was go, get your kids and go over and over, morning after morning after morning, get your kids and go, time to go, time to go, get your kids and go. I was probably there still for eight months, six to eight months. After I already was hearing that, after I already knew, I knew deeply in my gut and heart, it's time to go. This is toxic, unhealthy, and abusive, and it's not going to change at this time. But there was something in me, maybe that's the cognitive dissonance, maybe that's a naive hopefulness that this can change and I can help it change, but it's also those people there that you love. It keeps people who see that it's unhealthy, it keeps them there. They stay. They keep their kids in this bad program. Mind you, again, some of those teen leaders are amazing. There's a few Absolutely. in that program. Oh, so good with the kids. So I don't want to imply that it was all of the teen leaders. It wasn't. But enough of them yeah. were legalistic like this. But my point is, I think listening, really listening 
to that voice that's telling you what to do. I stayed six to eight months longer than, you know, it was done. I'd already been speaking up. I already said everything I needed to stay. And I kept trying. And that's when I started getting sick. My health was getting affected and I was getting depressed and I could barely get out of bed. I should have left right when I was receiving that in my heart. Time to go. And I kept hanging on this hope that it might change. So I say, don't be afraid to go. There's so much out there. One of my best friends, the person who actually invited me to church, had already left the church and had said to me during this time when I was speaking up a lot in these meetings, she said, Robin, there's a big, beautiful, amazing world out there. Mm, there's so yeah. many incredible churches out there. Mm-hmm. I was at my dining room table and she told me that. And I was like processing that like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. When you're in this unhealthy bubble, I don't know what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a quote I wrote down from my, from my book to quote myself, but I, I mean, I wanted to say this, my kind of my own answer to the question of how does one know when it's time to stop trying to fix and move on? I wrote every person has problems and every church composed of a bunch of people definitely has problems. While this is not abnormal or grounds for any serious authoritative reconstruction, the real harm comes when problems are noticed and communicated in the hopes of being resolved, but no attempts are made to change things. And that's it. It's, it's the same for me. It's, it's trying and seeing if it's receptive. And then even when it seems like it may be, nothing is happening. It's, you know, don't judge a person off of what they say, judge them off of what they do or don't do. And that's very, very telling of, you know, whether it's a member or a leader, it's very telling of this environment that that fosters and allows. All right, I got a few more questions here for you. What advice would you give to parents who find themselves and their children in toxic spiritual environments? Obviously, first, listening, listening to the spirit, going with those nudgings that you feel in your heart and in your mind space where you know it's off, you know, and trusting, trusting that. Yeah. You can really learn in that type of toxic and controlling environment, you can lose trust for yourself, trust yeah. for what you know is the truth, and listening to your kids. I think I know, I know too many uh, from that church, actually, who ha- have really uh, been treated very poorly. And I'm not just talking about a little mistakes here and there. We're all human. We're all human. There's going to be mistakes talking about things that are very damaging and abusive. Listen to your kids. Believe them. I know too many parents that have kind of disregarded what their teenager was speaking up about, and they just kind of brush it off as, oh, you're just being dramatic, or oh, you stop complaining. Yeah. This church has done so many good things for us. And yeah, you know what? That's a big one. That church did. Oh my gosh, when we adopted our kids, our friends from that church did so much for us mm-hmm. and really helped us. And when I came out of the hospital, they were there for us. And we were all there for each other. This community of people really being there for each other. That's the amazing part is these people yeah. are friends. You know what? You keep them. I remember when you were talking about leaving the church and one of your really close friends, you'll remember this, mm-hmm. he's in our living room and, and he said to you, aren't you afraid of... You know, if you leave, you're going to lose your friends. And you said, you were like, huh? 
No, if, if someone's really my friend, it's not going to matter that we're not going to the same church. Someone who's, who's a real friend is still going to be my friend. Right. If someone's not my friend anymore after I leave the church, then that was never a real friend to begin with. Yep. And here, I'm listening to you say this. I think you were, I don't know, 21 at the time. And I'm, I, here I'm, you know, just soaking it up, what you're saying. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, how simple is that? But so true. My real friends are going to be my friends, and they are. There are some people who don't communicate with me anymore, but my closest friends are still my closest friends. So I think not being afraid of those things, because the real people are still going to be your real people. Yep. Listen to your child. Try not to minimize your child's experience, because it's very damaging for them to not feel believed by their parent. And to not just say things like, just focus on the good there. I mean, you can have, someone has an uncle that has done a lot of good things in their life and always shows up at their birthday parties and whatnot. But that uncle has been molesting them and raping them since they were three years old. And they tell their parents about it. And the parent just says, what, what do you mean? Okay, okay, so he did that. But look at this. He's the uncle that gave you that big, huge teddy bear at your fifth birthday. Don't you remember? He's the uncle that took you to the zoo. And he came to all of your dance recitals. You're being really ungrateful. That's very entitled of you. You know, just focus on the good. I mean, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But sadly, that scenario is very parallel to what you see a lot of in an abusive church. Yeah. It's like in an abusive relationship and why people stay in an abusive relationship. And that goes on a lot at the church we used to attend. Just focus on the good. They did all these good things. And that's awesome. It's great. But the abuse matters and it's real. Very well said. I, I don't have much to add to that. Like it's been mostly with this episode. I uh, I don't think I really need to say anything. So. Now that you've left, you've been, I mean, now we've been gone for five years, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. I'm not quite sure. But around that, I want to know, looking back, or even now, but mostly looking back, what aspects maybe were easier to leave behind? What aspects maybe were harder? Um, Are there different memories or experiences that maybe, because I know for me, once I left, there were things looking back that I had maybe felt weird about, but never questioned to a deeper extent because it was normal in the world I was in. Are there any things like that where when you were in it years ago, it was weird, but it was normal. But now looking back, it's almost confirmed and validated for you like, oh, that was weird. What are the different aspects? That's, that's kind of a, a broader question. You can take wherever you kind of want to go, but I'm interested in just those things looking back that you now see were much more of a root problem than you may have realized? Well, you know, I think for me, some aspects were easier in leaving than other aspects. I mean, for me, what was really hard and uh, took a grieving process was, you know, not seeing some of these friends that I loved so much and loved being around all the time. Um, And it turned out that we do still keep in touch all the time. And in fact, most of my closest friends there have left that church. Um, but a few of my really close friends are still there. But m- most of them have left. But still, you know, that's a hard thing. And I think um, one of the things that really 
is helpful to me is a lot of people when they get involved in that church or any church like that that's a very controlling bubble community of those cult-like churches or flat out, you know, a cult. I always had my friends that were not from that church, always. Even like when I got married, my bridesmaids, it was this thing that people commented on at the church because people would primarily have only bridesmaids that were from the church or groomsmen from the church. Sometimes they'd have one or two that weren't. But at the time that I got married in 1994, almost everybody would have these huge wedding parties and they would all be people from the church. And my bridesmaids, um, over half of them were not from the church. Five of my bridesmaids were, you know, these are my closest friends, still are. And, you know, one of my best friends since I was 12, another one since I was 13, and a friend from college, and um, my friend that I've known since I was a dancer in my, my 20s. And, I mean, these are, you know, my close, close friends. But interestingly enough, I look back now, and there were several people when I got married who made comments, saying people from the church saying, wow, you, know, you have a lot of bridesmaids that aren't from the church, or wow, mm-hmm. so many of them are not in the church, with some with a little bit of curiosity, like, huh, that's interesting, and some with a little bit of judgment, like, that's weird. That's a little worldly. You might be spending too much time with people who are not in the church, literally. That's the kind of a judgment on it. Sure. But I never, like, who's going to do that? But but I shouldn't say it that way because that does happen a lot there. And they, they make comments when people are too involved. They used to in the in the first chapter of that church that I was part of that we left for the what we thought was going to be healthier. Um, you know, it was a lot of comments. Oh, that's really worldly. You don't want to spend time around those worldly people. Like, what on earth? But thank God I kept all my friends that I was close to, and we still are, you know. And, and, and they would say things like, I remember one time that uh, the, the lead evangelist, he called himself, of the, when the, the big umbrella church, when I first started with that arts ministry, my mom had come down from Seattle one time, and, and she came to the church service. And after the service, I said to her, how'd you like it? And she goes, eh, she goes, I'm, well, I'm glad you like it, but it, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, she said goodbye. She left. And, and then the main evangelist, leader guy, whatever you want to call him, he comes up to me. He says, was that your mother? I said, yeah, that's my mom. And he said, well, what'd you think of the service? And I said, oh, she said it's not her cup of tea. And he said, oh, time to cut the apron strings, sister. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Time to cut the apron strings. Yeah. And I remember looking at him like, holy smokes. Thank God I even, at that point, even though I was in that crazy group, I viewed that as a red flag, you know. And I, yeah. you know, he was not my favorite speaker to begin with or anything. But I was just like, wow, did he just say that? Time to cut the apron strings. Of my mother, by the way, my my best friend. But anyways, um, and then I think another thing that helped me is there there's a, this weird kind of paradigm thing there. I don't know what it is. This, they would uh, really, for many years, highly push books that were written through their publishing company mm. by members of their church only. And people would read those books. And they would say, you have to read this book, and we'll talk about it in group. And you have to read this book, and we're going to talk about it in discussion group. And for whatever reason, I didn't read any of them. One book I read a couple of paragraphs and another book I read almost a chapter. And I'm talking out of maybe 20-something books. I don't know, 15, 20 books. And they didn't resonate with me. I didn't read those books. And people thought, I don't know, 
I don't know what they thought of that, but I didn't read them. And I'm really glad. And I remember one time we were doing this book called The Artist's Way that is more, you know, very opposite of the the teachings at that first group that was very controlling. And it's more, you know, it's for artists and some people would consider it more new agey, some people, whatever. But it had all these great things in it for actors and writers and directors and people in the arts. And we had an Artist's Way class at our house and all these people from the church came and and we just, you know, we had a great time with it, but that wasn't really approved by people there. And these parenting books that they would have everybody read as soon as you're pregnant, like every baby shower, they would give this book called To Train Up a Child by Debbie Pearl, I think her name was, and the book Baby Wise. And everybody did it because that's what you're supposed to do. And that was the okay way to parent. And yeah. I never read those books. I remember being in the church bookstore one time and my friend who was pregnant with her first child, she held up the How to Train Up a Child book and she said, oh, do you think I should get this one? Or I don't. She's asking all these questions and I said, I don't know, I didn't read it. Her eyes about popped out of her head. Like, <laughs> you, you didn't read it? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't agree with the teachings in that book or the Baby Weiss book. We're not doing that. And we didn't. And we also didn't agree with all the rules they had about spanking. Sorry, we don't like that. You know, it was just, you know, I think we tried that once or twice when you were really teeny. We're like, no, 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 no. This is, no, wrong. And people would say things to us like, because we weren't spanking our child, basically you were going to turn out to be this wayward, disrespectful, disobedient child. That's the kind of things they would say because we weren't spanking. Mm, Yeah. It's weird. Like, what on earth? I I think you turned out pretty great. You know, and I think it's, I think it's good to let your, let your mind and heart think in the realm of possibility uh, when you're thinking of, you know, what is healthy for you, what is healthy for your family, and giving other things a chance. If you feel like you're in a church that is toxic or controlling or abusive or whatever it is, there's so much out there. And um, I mean, for us, it it took us a while. We weren't planning on finding a church, you know, and. After four years, we actually did, but it was a surprise to us. But even then, like, I would find myself having these triggers. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a time where we came into church late, and I found myself, that happened twice, I found my heart racing and this anxiety in me. I mean, this was pretty recently. This was just months ago. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, that feeling of, I don't know, but anxious. And I realized it was from... All those years of judgment of where we used to go to church. In fact, one of my girlfriends, uh, just a couple weeks after we left that church, the unhealthy one in California, um, one of my best friends, they started this thing there. And um, this particular Sunday, people came into church, sat down, and the lead pastor guy tells everybody they'd like them to turn around and look up at the back of this big auditorium. Yep, I know this story. Everybody turns around and looks back there. And the usher holds up a poster board. And the poster board has a number on it. I can't remember if it was 128 or 228. I don't know. A high number. And at that time was when there were still a lot of members at that church. So he's holding up this number. And the, the lead pastor up there tells all the people there on Sunday, that number on that poster board, that's how many people were late today. Oh, my gosh. That's how many people walked in the door after service started. After the music started, that's right, after the music started. Like, what on earth? Like, how humiliating. So then he says that he wants everybody to do better, and from now on, they're they're going to be using this clicker to 
count how many people come in late. Like, who cares about that? Yeah, exactly. You think Jesus is looking at that? How about let's just love each other? But the next week, so my close friend was sharing because she was very anxious about it. I wasn't going there anymore. The next week, she comes there and she's having troubles with her car. And she gets there and she's rushing and rushing and rushing and she's taking her child up to the kids' kingdom, the Sunday school thing. And she puts her daughter in there and there's trouble. They're having trouble registering people and getting them signed in. And she's panicking and feeling anxious because it's taking so long to get her daughter signed in. And she's running downstairs. She said she ran down there. She ran through the courtyard courtyard, and she's running in, trying to get through the door. She's walking to the door and she hears click. Oh, man. Counted her. The usher clicks the clicker. And she said her heart just shrank. She goes and sits in her seat. The lead pastor again has the usher hold up a poster board of how many people came in late today and tells them it's better than last week, but it was still a lot of people and how they need to get better and blah, 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 Man, blah, what blah. The heck? Can you even believe that? So she said she's sitting there in this chair, just feeling so embarrassed and ashamed and the pain of it because tardiness was already something she felt like she was already trying to work on it was already a thing for her she didn't need somebody pointing it out and squashing her for it and then the next week she goes there same thing happens at the kids thing she takes her daughter and they're having all this trouble with this new sign-in system that they're doing and she's waiting and she's waiting and she's getting anxious and anxious and stressed Her daughter gets signed in. She's running down the stairs, running across the courtyard, and she looks and she sees that it's already two minutes past the time that church starts. So what she does is she sat in the courtyard for the entire service. Man. She was too embarrassed to go in there and hear that clicker. She said she didn't want to hear the clicker again and be one of those late people. Yeah. So she sat in the courtyard by herself for the whole service while her daughter was up in the Sunday school. She sat there beating herself up, missed the whole service. And the sad, heartbreaking thing is this person who had her car break down, is having the daughter have troubles checking in, everything going wrong. Gosh, that's a very person that if they were in a healthy church, ready to encourage, ready to speak truth, she could have really been filled up. Exactly. She could have gone to service and been filled up. She sat in the courtyard by herself. And how far from that point can we get? Like the focus is entirely on things that don't even matter and are completely excluding the things that do. Yeah. 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 I'm sure, I'm sure that number got lower every week, but not because there were more people on time. There were less people showing up. (laughs) That's right. They're not going. People who who end up being later, like, no, I'm not going to (laughs) go. Yeah. And also before I forget, there was, you had told me before and you written down, I think that you wanted to share about, Mm -hmm. The, um, the story about your spiritual age. Would you <gasps> yes. want to share that? I, I don't know where exactly it would fit in all this, but it's just a good story by itself um, to highlight some of the dynamics that weren't exactly healthy. <laughs> so go ahead. And maybe just as a preface, as for some context here, this took place last, in part one, you mentioned how there was a period of several years where you weren't at church because of some uh, a pregnancy complication that ended up you being very sick for, for several years. So you couldn't come to church. And then after that period of time, when you started getting better, you were finally able 
to come to church for the first time again. So there's that that background. Go ahead. After that time period where I was uh, home on bed rest for a few years, off and on, I was on bed rest for a few years. And when I couldn't drive a car and couldn't do most things, you know, I had severe PTSD from, from the death experience and all that and a lot of physical issues. Um, so it was very exciting for me when I finally got to go back to church and see everybody in person. And at that time, simultaneously, um, someone who was a good friend of mine at the time was very clearly and obviously having some uh, drinking issues, alcohol issues. And so um, I had been trying to help her with that and trying to speak up, you know, share with her my concerns. Sure. You know, I mean, anybody can, you know, have these seasons in their life that are yeah, sure. really, um, you know, concerning. And as her friend, I was trying to speak up to help her. So, of course, when you're that person, you know, she was leading a Bible group at church and all that. When you're that person, you're trying to keep that facade going. You don't want people to know. And here I was the person who knew about it. And, you know, because I had been really sick and gone for a while after the whole uh, thing when I lost, when the ectopic pregnancy and all that, you know, she just told the leaders, oh, you know, Robin's crazy. She's just making this up and and she's not looking at it straight. She's been sick or whatever. I don't know what she said. She shared with me at one point what it is that she said. But um, I get a call from the two lead pastor ladies at the time and they asked me to go to coffee. And I thought, oh, I've been gone for a few years. I haven't been to a service, a single church service in what, four years, I think, five years? Well, maybe it was less. But anyways, hadn't been to church because of my health situation. And I go to this coffee and I'm thinking they're, you know, going to talk about how are you doing and it's good to have you back. And yeah, right. We want to share with you and catch you up to date on some of the new things we're doing at church, see how you're doing, whatever. And they proceed to tell me how wrong I am to think that this person is having a drinking problem. And this friend, right, this mutual friend, they, and they're, you know, she, she leads a Bible talk. And, you know, I think you're just sensitive to alcohol because your dad was an alcoholic. I mean, like, what? what? And then the main pastor, she and her husband led the um, marriage and family ministry and the teens. She says to me, you know, you just don't realize you've been gone from church with your illness. You don't realize that in that time. So she tells me how I've lost time. And then she says, so it's kind of like how it works is you're half your age spiritually when you've missed a lot of time at church. Oh my gosh. And I can't figure out what she's talking about. And then she says, so... If you're 16 years old spiritually, meaning if you've been a Christian 16 years, because I had been a believer for 16 years at that time, right? And she says, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for 16 years, you're actually half that now. So if you've been what? a Christian for 16 years, you're about eight years old spiritually. And I'm like, what on earth? What does that even, like, how do you even find, get that number? And I'm trying to process this and I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe you just need to be humble and hear what she's saying. This is not making sense. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is so odd. So she proceeds to tell me how I'm just not seeing things straight because I haven't been at church and I'm actually half my age spiritually because I haven't been at their church. And in my mind, I'm going, wow, in this time that I've been home on bed rest, I'm thinking this is the closest I've ever felt to God. Yeah. 
all I have is time with God. All I have is time to pray and meditate and read and journal. And I looked at that time as difficult and challenging as it was health-wise. I looked at it as one of the times in my life where I bonded so much with God. It was spiritually an amazing time because all I had was stillness and time (laughs) with God. Yeah. So this person is now telling me that I'm half my age spiritually like what what is that is that spiritual abuse what do you categorize that as but it's not accurate and it's not of god and it's not biblical and it's not spiritual yeah that's just that's wild there's the i want to see the rule book for these things and how they come up with exactly what their standards and expectations and and bound and margins are for these things and how they calculate it okay last question the question i ask every guest on the show This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which is a metaphor for the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. What for you is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn and gain a new understanding of? There's a few. One of the crumpled papers, um, just getting a new understanding, is, um, you know, definitely that I would have always said this verbally, um, and I would have thought this, you know, saying, you know, what matters is my relationship with God, not all these people. That's what matters, relationship with God. However, I think in a system like that, myself and pretty much everybody I knew there, um, you do allow, I allowed, some of the advice to have too much weight on it mm-hmm. or some of the sort of methods, the things that they would do to try to keep a narrative going a certain way. And I would, uh, again, go with your truth, go with the Holy Spirit. About two months maybe after I left that church, I got a phone call from the elder of the church. And, you know, he had texted and said he wanted to talk to me about a family rescue center this nonprofit that I was very involved with for homeless and low-income families. I was like, great, okay. So I call him, say, I got your text. And he said, mentioned one little thing about Family Rescue Center. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I'm hanging up. And he quickly says, oh, oh wait, uh, uh, you know, I just want to let you know, uh, we, re- we really miss you guys at church. And I said, oh, well, thank you. I said, well, we miss you too. And then he said, and this was clearly the real purpose of his call, as the elder... That's how he started this sentence. Uh-oh. He said, as the elder, and then he proceeds to tell me how he would like me to word things when any of my friends from church ask me why our family left the church. Oh, no. And I'm holding this phone. I'm grabbing this notebook, and I'm writing. It was on the counter. I'm writing word for word because I'm so stunned at what he's telling me. As the elder, basically, here's what I need you to say. Yikes, dude. And he proceeds to tell me that, you know, just, you know, make sure you're, you share just your experience, just your personal experience. I'm thinking, oh, wow, yeah, because I'm the only member in the church that saw those anonymous surveys right. of all of these heartbreaking stories. And, oh, yeah, I'm the only member, my husband and I, that were in all those meetings with the staff. Oh, The community meeting, yeah, heard all those stories too. Mm -hmm. There's countless stories 
of these controlling abusive situations, overstepping, unkind, shaming, and much worse. Very egregious things on the other end of the spectrum. And here I am, this person who knows this. So he's telling me that he needs me to word things in a way where I'm very clear only sharing my experience. And he talks and talks for a while about it. And then when he was done, I said, well, first of all, I don't appreciate the fact that you are stating it in this way. And I do share my experience. Of course I share my experience. And I said, but you and I both know that this experience is now universal Yeah. in that church. Right. And I said, you and I both saw all of those surveys with those heartbreaking stories and experiences that people so courageously shared. You and I both were in meetings. So I'm just repeating to him what we both know. And what he had said to me, he had said, the reason he needs me to say it in this way and only share my story, what he said was, you know, because you don't want to damage anyone's faith. Oh my God. That's what he said. As the elder, I need to tell you what I want you to say and the words I want you to use because you don't want to damage anyone's faith. That's the subtext or word for word, right? And so then I say all this to him like, well, you know, we both know this. We both know that. These stories were heartbreaking. So I said to him, so you want to know what damages someone's faith? It's when they speak up about these abuses and they have the courage to share these heartbreaking stories and the damage that it did to themselves or their children. And the response is that they are silenced, discredited, minimized, ostracized, and squashed. Yep. I said, that damages someone's faith. And his response was, well, I gotta go. I have a baby on my lap that's getting squirmy. That was it. That's all he said. And I share that to say, with your crumpled papers, you throw out the ones that put you in any sort of space that places your heart in a space where you value opinions and destructive teachings and comments from anybody in the church or out. And it doesn't matter that someone has placed them as a quote-unquote elder. And this person saying to me, as the elder, like, what are you even talking about? I lost a lot of respect for that person in that conversation, I got to be honest. And I thought to myself, wow, this control, you know, I want to have empathy and compassion. Where does this come from? This need to control. You're calling me. I don't even go to this church anymore. And this person is calling me. To try to control my answer if someone asked me why I left the church? I'm not even a big mouth person. You know what I mean? I share the truth, but I, like, what on earth? I'm not going to go on social media and I'm moving on. Here now we're sharing these stories because your book is out and this podcast is out. And these stories are helping people and helping people to heal. But I just thought, wow, you know, those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing. Yep. Those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing. So why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of what I might say that you want to tell me the words you want me to use? So 
Those are the crumpled papers I would let go of. Those voices don't matter. What matters is God. What matters is what the Holy Spirit is telling you. You can't go wrong with that. Because that is always filled with truth and love and complete acceptance. And you are enough. Not these voices from people who are filled with fear. Yeah. It's really, really good. Mom, thank you for coming on. This has been a great, really, really, really good conversation. I think it's going to be really valuable because my book is about my experiences through all this time. And then this really fills in that other side of the parent's perspective and your own personal perspective of the same kind of timeline, what was going on and what kind of ultimately led to our joint decision to leave. So thank you for coming on and talking with me. Thank you, Austin. I think uh, I'm sure you're going to edit this part out, but I think I'm just so proud of you. Um, Your courage to have these conversations and these dialogues, you do it in such a graceful way and with compassion and kindness, yet being very direct and truthful. And I think that these important dialogues really matter. And you're really helping a lot of people. We're hearing from them. You're hearing from them. I'm hearing from them. People we've never met. People we've met and people we've never met every single day. We're hearing from people who really needed to hear what's being shared in your podcast. They needed to feel seen and heard in their experiences. And I'm really so inspired by the work that you're doing, Austin. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cut that out. I'm kidding. (laughs) No. No. All right, guys, that's it for this week. I will see you next week for next week's episode. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.